Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to get ready for the new Dune movie. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Jason. That's why Matt and I are podcast husbands. And by 2021 podcast rookie sensation and co-host of the Cynonauts Pod, Boom. Is it screenwriting blackface? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On this episode, we discuss Zendaya and her sensational performance in the black and white two-person drama, Malcolm and Marie. We discuss unreliable narrators, aggressive food-eating acting, and the dangers of filmmakers tussling with critics. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Take two minutes and leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help new listeners find the show. And now... Without further ado, Malcolm and Marie. So, boom! What what is going on? Talk to us about Synonauts. Like, what's the deal? And how have you gone from never having been on a podcast before to being instantly the most popular host <laughs> on a hot up and coming pod? Wow, a lot. <laughs> oh my goodness! So that's the ma- that's the H treatment right there. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I'm like, I'm a Leo. Keep the compliments coming. Keep them coming. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, so Ketchener and I are like good old pals here in Toronto. Um, And I guess he knows all of y'all and was like, had been speaking with Ian for a while about starting a pod. Mm -hmm. And I guess they just kind of wanted a third person. I think they wanted a woman. So I am that. (laughs) And yeah, so he just asked me if, I was down to do it. And I was like, sure, let's go. Um, I didn't have a lot of experience. So like, I'm definitely a film lover, um, but didn't have a lot of experience like with the Criterion Collection itself. So Mm. it's been an interesting journey, but it's been a lot of fun because I feel like I'm just kind of getting a lot of new content and like watching things that I wouldn't look for otherwise. So yeah. That's great. Well, you're great. You're really great on it. It's a wonderful pod, and uh, yeah, I really, thank you. really loves hearing you on it. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's nice to not just have a pod be just three white dudes talking about movies. Just a, just yeah. a bunch of, just a bunch of a dude bros. We're just trying to shake it up a little bit. Although, I mean, we just had three dudes doing Lebowski. <laughs> like, you guys are also great. I've really enjoyed kind of, like, listening um, every week and especially the films I've watched. I always find you guys are so fun to kind of unpack with because mm. um, it's like you your perspectives and it's always super fun. But I kind of like when you guys get into the technical stuff and I feel like I'm always learning something new. So it's great. Nice. Nice. And how are things going in Canada? Like it, some of us in, in the United States, we look at Canada as like a thoughtful, like a more serious version of, of what we could be doing in this country. So we, mm. we try and take our cues from you sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're doing okay, but... Well, we're killing it on this vaccine distro right now. Like You guys are killing it on the vaccine <laughs> distro. We, Ontario is I a know. mess. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, oh, it's painful. I, I've read, I've read about how Ontario is a mess. I'm sorry about that. It's okay. Thank you uh, so much. It's the one time in which like American healthcare has like kind of somehow somehow trump canadian healthcare. seriously <laughs> and we will never let you forget it no no <laughs> we've been waiting well we are so excited to have you boom on the podcast uh tonight and our episode our feature presentation 
we have Zendaya returning uh, yes. for the 2021 black and white film, Malcolm and Marie. Mm. Um, so that'll be in the bottom half of the hour. Really excited to talk about this film. It's complex. Uh, definitely, mm-hmm. I got a lot out of the second pass uh, today. Um, but looking forward to getting in and having that discussion. Next week on Dune Pod, we have Timothy Chalamet's first real feature film. Wow. Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. Yes. Oh wow. Is that true? It's like Timothy that's the that's the birth of the Chalamet. <laughs> he had one movie that was like an hour and fifteen minutes long, uh, that did not look like it was something that got released to theaters. So Okay. I'm excited. I just got my HK like like <laughs> super plus ultra max retina burning version yes. of Interstellar. <laughs> How nice. That's awesome. Uh, M.G. Siegler is joining us to discuss. Uh, noted internet tech writer and investing legend. Uh, so, and huge Nolan and Interstellar fan. So, super stoked for that for next week. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm stoked. Interstellar is one of my favorite movies. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to rewatch it. I know it's a weird one, but I do love it. I have to apologize to both Catcher and Proto. Um, Proto in particular, this is like his his super touchstone. So I feel badly that that he's not going to be with us, but in spirit. Oh yeah, it makes sense. It would be a big Proto film for sure. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, how about we get down with some Dune news? Would you like to know more? Dune news. Go. <laughs> One year ago, Timothy Chalamet posted a tweet that said, Dune, and it had a picture of Timothy walking on the shores of Caladan. Wow. 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 So, I, Do you remember where you were, Boom, when that happened? <laughs> <laughs> One year ago, when you saw the Timothy Chalamet walking on Caladan tweet and how it changed your life? Um, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think I was standing in line to get into the grocery store at that point in time, so I might have missed it. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was a dark time for everyone. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. It's 170 days until the release of the movie, though. Mm. The, nice. So That's we're, exciting. we're getting there. We're getting closer. Yeah. I actually yeah. do. I do like the idea that one year ago, none of the three of us had, you know, a regular podcast going. So we are in a, yeah. like a very different world than we were that one year ago. Timothy gave us that too. He's really, he's a great <laughs> giver. Golly. Yeah. Love you, Timothy. Yeah. We've yet to do any Timothy content on synonyms. Is he in the, is he in the crying? Is he, is he, has he been criterionized? I don't think, I don't think he's been criterionized yet. Um, Ladybird's not on there? <laughs> no, which is kind of surprising, but. What? Maybe one day. <laughs> All right. He's a walking criterion collection. His middle name <laughs> yeah, is, is, it's Chalamet Criterion. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't need it. <laughs> Yeah. Because he is yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Second piece of Dune news. Eric Roth co-wrote the Dune 2021 script. And this week he had an interview with Collider. Um, and in that interview, he said that he had worked with Denny on Arrival and that Denny asked him to take a crack at Dune. And he said, I did. I wrote a big, full, overwritten Eric Roth draft that had certain things special to me. It needed to be, honestly, cut down and sort of harnessed, and Denny did some of that. Um, And they brought in John Spates, a wonderful writer, who I think kept it grounded. 
And I think he, I don't want to say Lord of the Rings, but I think it's really pretty spectacular. He's kind of a visionary of his own, Denny. Mm -hmm. Mm. Hell yeah. Strong. Wait, so this is the guy who wrote it, though? This is the guy who wrote the first draft. Okay, so he got like, he got run over by a by a sled at some point well he's like a legendary he's 75 uh and he's written a ton like when i added him to the um the possible imdb connections for Dune oh, Pod, okay. like it's crazy it opens up a lot of stuff so okay um, all right but, nice yeah so very very exciting to to check that out great in our final piece of dune news wow you came fully loaded i appreciate it yeah getting all the news today finally <laughs> the heritage foundation has weighed in on Denny's Dune. That why? <laughs> why does the Heritage Foundation have an opinion? Oh, what did That's they have to say? That's a great question. <laughs> Nothing uh, good. Yeah, so James J. Carafano thinks Denny should change the story to include technology to make it more relatable to modern audiences. Why is he, why, why? <laughs> Boom, do you know who the Heritage Foundation is? No. They're not good. Well, not your Heritage Foundation. I know about ours. <laughs> ours is bad. Ours is just like, uh, ours is just a right-wing uh, think tank oh, slash no. blogging enterprise. I don't know if it's like provincial or not, but the pe- the ones in Toronto are pretty cool because they just save all the cool buildings. Oh, nice. I think. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> this is very, this is not that. This is like, we want to oh, save yeah. the statues of the people yeah. who did the things that, that, that we, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, All right. Yeah. F those guys. uh, F their takes on Dune. (laughs) um, And that, that is is the end of Dune news. Great. There, there you have it. (laughs) Boom. I know earlier this year you began reading Dune. Mm. So why don't you tell us where you're at on your journey? Yes. Okay. So (laughs) when I started reading Dune, I was like in the middle of a move. Um, so I decided to audiobook it, which I've never done before. Oh, nice. Great. Um, yeah, because I I mean, I started reading it. I was like, this is cool. It was just very dense and I I'm a bad reader, so I was just like having a bit of trouble. Um, yeah, so I did that and now I'm currently reading it, like reading the physical copy. Um, because I enjoyed listening okay. to it, but I think it was like because when I was listening to it, I was like out doing stuff. You know, there was like a lot of in one ear, out the other. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've got like the basic plot down. Um, I'm super stoked for the movie, and yeah, it was a lot weirder than I thought it was gonna be for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it is. Weird. I went into it kind of blindly, um, but yeah, I had a good time. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the family. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for just being with me on this journey. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, we will we will continue yeah. to be at your side uh, as you walk yes. your way, as you walk your way through. Oh, and I tried um, to watch the film. I was like, I wanted to watch the movie like closer to doing this. Um, uh-huh. And I tried to put it How'd on it over the weekend. It, I didn't make it very far. I got to the part where they had like the... Um, where they were fighting, it was like Gurney and um, uh-huh. Paul, yep. Paul, and the, with the ozone shields—is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah, the shields. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, and I was just like, I can't. I'm out right now. I can't do this. Yeah. But, <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> but 
but I will revisit at a later date. Um, <laughs> yeah. October October 1st in theaters. Yeah. And HBO Max. I'm stoked. I'm so excited. Well, so shall we get into Malcolm and Marie? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Malcolm and Marie is the quest for artistic achievement and the imperative to exercise the demons that haunt you. Malcolm is a talented young filmmaker at the end of the biggest night of his life, the successful premiere of his first feature film. Marie, his girlfriend, an addict and former actress, is hurt and upset at Malcolm's lack of appreciation for her. Holed up in a stunning house on a cliff, they will spend all night locked in a fierce argument, digging deeper and deeper until they uncover their own painful truths. Will they be transformed and emerge together stronger than ever? Or is this the end of Malcolm and Marie? Mm. Nice. <laughs> yes. Signature. Signature. <laughs> Closing there. Yeah. All right. So this movie, obviously Zendaya is a touchstone for this podcast. She is one of the most popular members of the Dune 2021 mm-hmm. cast. But we got hooked up with Sarah Chips in season one, I think, and did Euphoria. And it just completely blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you watched that, Boom? Yes, I have. Um, I watched it when it first came out. There was a lot of buzz around it. Um, I think it's like produced by Drake or something. So naturally as a Torontonian. Yeah. Oh, Canada. I, I was... yeah. <laughs> Is it CanCon? Does it count? <laughs> um, I not know. It's very um, California, I guess. I don't, I've never been to California, so I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. But, okay. Um, <laughs> No, I actually really loved Euphoria. It kind of gave me Skins vibes. I don't know if you guys ever watched um, Skins back in the day. It's that like British show about drunk teenagers. Oh, yeah. It was like an interesting to, uh, choice to kind of like highlight that way of living um, and just a bunch of teenagers at, in this kind of like weird times, um, Gen Zers, you know, what are they up to? What are they doing? But really captured kind of the, the magic, the magic of like doing drugs and partying. Like they, yeah. I think they did a pretty great <laughs> job of capturing what that looks like and feels like. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely appreciated it for that. Yeah. It's super stylish. Mm-hmm. So, so the way this film, Malcolm and Marie came together was that Sam Levinson is the writer and director, producer, showrunner of Euphoria. And they were greenlit to start shooting season two on a Friday Mm. of Euphoria. And on Monday, all of Hollywood got shut down. This was back in March of last year. And so he and Zendaya talked on the phone every day. And after a while, they started thinking, well, what can we do? And basically... Um, they pitched the idea of, she's like, why don't we just shoot at my house? We'll do a small cast and crew. We'll make it happen. Um, and they ended up putting together this film, um, with a super small cast. They quarantined together. There were only 12 people allowed on set at a time. Um, so it was pretty incredible what they were able to, to pull together on the show. Yeah. Like it was like a cast of cast of like a crew of two or something like that. Right. Like (laughs) like really small. Like 21 I read. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it might've been 21, but it was like 12 at a time was the maximum that they were allowed to have. Amazing. That's wild. Zendaya said that she had to do her own makeup and and other stuff that was happening there. Wow. Mm. It's kind of interesting because A, I think it's super cool that they kind of just created this kind of came out of like a crappy time and they were just doing it out of like the necessity for of them just like wanting to still be doing something, Mm -hmm. but then also kind of like taking the plunge and being the first to kind of set the precedent for like what filming and all of that um, looks like during COVID. Yeah. Because if I remember correctly, this was like the first kind of, news I heard about something filming. I remember it was like secret John David Washington Zendaya film. Same. So I think that's cool. Super cool. Yeah. Well, and also, so I first was exposed to Zendaya. My daughter came in, uh, used to watch Step Up, Step It Up, um, or whatever, <laughs> the Bella Thorne Zendaya dance show on Disney Channel. Yeah. And then apparently she had another show where she was a spy on the Disney Channel. <laughs> And Sam Levinson's original pitch was that Zendaya would be in her house but would be delusional and think that she was still the character that she was playing. That was the original <laughs> pitch for the movie. Wild. Okay. And then it obviously morphed uh, to, to what we got here. Yeah. yeah. A good morph. Yeah. Good morph. good morph. That would have been silly. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. And maybe a little overly <laughs> dramatic, but. Yeah. Um, so I do want to call out the opening of this film um, is them arriving at this house and um, Malcolm putting on James Brown down and out in New York City. I was born in New York City on a Monday. And this song, just like from the beginning and the push-in shot where he's singing, like, you know, this is like a something something's happening. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's in a he's in a good mood. He's he's on cloud nine. He's dancing, mm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's interesting how it's all set up too, because it's like he's so he's super stoked. He's dancing around, putting on music, mixing himself a drink. But then Zendaya's kind of or Marie, excuse me, it's like has herself a little bit isolated. You can tell something's not quite right. You know, they're in the same space, but they're like in different worlds. And you're just like, all right, yeah. what's going on here? <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's going to go bad because like so many relationship arguments start with I can't hear you. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and like so as soon as it's like they're on like opposite ends of this house and it's like, you know, they literally can't hear each other talk. You're like, all right, this is not they're going to yeah. in for a bad night. So, so then, uh, you know, she comes out and she starts getting ready to, to make some mac and cheese. Um, it's one o'clock in the morning. This is the after, after party. Um, it's just the two of them at the house and he's super excited, um, about the premiere that happened. And he begins talking about having all these great conversations specifically with the, the white woman or the white girl from the LA times. Mm. And this notion of saying that he doesn't want to be considered political. Yeah, sort of the introduction of one of the main themes of the movie, which is like uh, artists' relationship to their critics and how they're perceived as, like you know the the, the how they how their perception of their identity uh, impacts the perception of their work. Mm. This was almost on an equal par, at least for Malcolm, right? For the whole for the theme of the movie. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. This is like the theme of the movie. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's like two, it's like their relationship and then Malcolm kind of being, kind of unpacking his thoughts about 
you know, uh, the critics and what they're going to say. And I guess they kind of allude to the fact that he's hasn't had much success in the past and that, um, right. Specific, um, writer has given him a bad review before. So he's got like a a very specific vendetta with her Mm. and, it's interesting how uh, that plays out and the conversations that come from it. Right. I think the other thing that was kind of key here was him saying that because he is black, he was being, uh, she was assuming that he was being political for things that he didn't consider to be political or yeah. what he was doing was being read into interpreted. Would, uh, I mean, for, uh, for real though, like if I decide to make uh, a fucking Lego movie, it's not because I want to tell a story about how the building blocks of the American empire was slave labor. I may just want to make a Lego movie. You don't want to make a Lego movie. Yeah, that's true. But that Lego movie. <laughs> yeah, the Lego stuff was funny. Lego stuff was really funny. Yeah, that was yeah. funny. <laughs> but I, I do want to call out this the shot where she's standing outside smoking a cigarette and he's just walking, pacing in circles and the way the camera is going back and forth and back and forth and every once in a while it will stay with her while she smokes and he walks off frame and then it'll go with him. That shot was unbelievably good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. Really good. I mean, they have like, I mean, they have a great, it's a great location. It looks awesome. All the lighting looks great. Like it's very... Like, I guess, like, putting my cards on the table, I think, like, the... I think the relationship dynamic stuff works much better than the art criticism stuff for me in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I enjoy, like, like the way in which it, like, sort of unfolds in this space is um, is pretty is pretty magical. Yeah. And the black and white. And the black and white, yeah. I feel like it's just super... I mean, the black and white and like the way it's filmed just kind of adds this nice texture to it. And I think the house kind of becomes just as, as much a part of it um, as they are. And I think with films like this that are very dialogue-heavy and conversational, you really got to push to keep people's attention. Mm-hmm. And out of all the things I'll say about this movie, I will say that I was never bored um yeah yeah (laughs) totally i think like that just like the way they use the space and the blocking was it was pretty excellent and yeah the house was awesome i just wanted to like peek into more rooms you know they were very like contained i was like okay go down the hall a little further i want to see what's over there (laughs) (laughs) well so so quickly just um from the cinematography perspective this was shot by marcel rev who is the cinematographer for Euphoria and was also the um, cinematographer for Assassination Nation, um, which is uh, the other movie directed by Sam Levinson. Yeah. Have you seen it? I have not. I have not, but that's the movie, incidentally, like Sam Levinson's prior film Mm. that got a like bad review from the right. LA Times oh. critic Katie really? Walsh. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, my god. So that's like that's like the sort of that's like that's like the sort yeah, of he kind of uses he kind of uses the Malcolm character to take shots at um a specific critic. Oh my uh, god. That which didn't which did not escape the attention of critics. Said critic. Large. Yeah. <laughs> well like or anyone. Yeah, like okay. you know Oh no. <laughs> I want to read that. Yeah. That is really funny. <laughs> you could definitely feel that, like, it was, like, certain things that um, Malcolm was saying. I was like, this feels, like, a little pointed and a little personal. Like, I think right. you could tell where it was, like, Sam 
just specifically venting um, about his own experiences. And then when it was like more so the character, but yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Malcolm's needy, right? Like that's the deal. Yeah. Quite. So. Yes. I'd say so. <laughs> so, so as you know, he's doing this, the pacing around and, and thinking about it. So we begin to see very clearly that Maria's pissed mm-hmm. um, and she's making him mac and cheese. And he's, he's saying, what are you angry about? As the jazz music swells and it's like really intense. And then you just have the shot of the mac and cheese and boom credits. Um, yeah. And yes. I love, I love that. Um, and then basically <laughs> she says, but it's not just about you forgetting to thank me, Malcolm. It's about how you see me and how you view my contribution, not just to this relationship, but to your work. Specifically in a movie you made about my life. Mm. Um, And that's sort of the central beginning point was that he hasn't, he didn't thank her at the award show. And I love how, you know, we'll unfold it as we get through the, through the film here. But I love the way that it just starts. Like he fucked up and didn't say thank you tonight um, at the award show. That is a fuck up though. He did yeah. fuck it up. He's gonna Big get. One. He's gonna get like the angry mac and cheese for that for sure. Hundred <laughs> percent. The tension, like in like the prologue, was like building so much, and I was just like, okay, yeah. like what's she mad about though? What's she mad about? And then when it finally comes out, I was like, damn, Malcolm, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. So he denies that it's about her life, and so she presses him about it. And I love the scene where he's sitting there eating the mac and cheese. Um, you know, aggressively with his fork and his tie thrown over his shoulder. Oh, my gosh. Weird. Imani is not based on you. Oh, so she's a 20-year-old drug addict trying to get clean. Was that just a pure fucking coincidence? Obviously, you getting clean was a part of the inspiration. At 20? Yes, and you were able to provide genuine insight into that, what that was like. But Imani's not fucking based on you. It's an amalgamation of a whole different thing, a whole bunch of things. Who? People. What? People. A lot of different people. People. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a great line read. Well, I was just going to say him eating the mac and cheese was like a full body cringe moment for me. Um, it was so aggressive, but it was yeah almost because H, I also did a second pass. Like I watched it the first time um, and it was kind of hard for me to just see past how much I hated Malcolm and then the second time it was a lot better and I kind of saw like a little bit more of the comedy in it mm-hmm. um, and just like the way he was acting like an absolute child like when exactly what you said like when he just gives that like look and he's like people and there's also a moment beforehand where she storms off and he looks at the mac and cheese and then he looks and is like should I go after <laughs> her yeah. and then he just goes and eats the, <laughs> the mac and cheese <laughs> Yeah. It's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> they they filmed it sequentially. Like they filmed like the movie in sequence. Uh really? Yeah, yeah. And like and so I wonder about like sort of like what he had to go do, like, you know, directly after just housing this bowl of mac and cheese. Like just this right. like <laughs> you know, because he really fucking like tears into it. Like you can kind of tell sometimes when people are fake eating in movies. Yeah. And he yeah. is mowing down on some craft. He's giving it. Yeah. There's some aggressive uh some some aggressive foley work with the uh you know like fork the mac and cheese sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It made yeah. me want mac and cheese, I'll say that. <laughs> 100%. It was very, it reminded me of like the way people like you've been out all night, like partying maybe, oh, and then yeah. you come home and just oh, like yeah. crush a burrito, crush a bowl of mac and cheese. I was like, that's the vibe, right? We're getting <laughs> totally. 
So they do have, um, there's a little more argument. She says, you, you, don't, you don't care about somebody until you're about to lose them, that you start to pay attention. Mm -hmm. um, and he does say, this I thought, found interesting. He said that he had a draft before he met her. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting because that, that does shoot a hole in her theory a little bit. Yeah. Um, but he does agree. She says, I want you to admit that the movie's better for me being with you. And he agrees and they make up sort of step one. Right. First yeah. making up. First round done. Yeah. <laughs> no, you knew it wasn't going to hold. You knew for sure that wasn't going to. Oh, yeah. No. We got an hour, hour and 15 <laughs> still to go. Uh, <laughs> so we, we do get Marie's vision of the Lego movie. Next thing you know, you will be on your press tour for your new Lego film. Talk about how it's an allegory for the failures of reconstruction. <laughs> Well, I mean, the original working title was uh, 40 Legos and a Mule, but uh, <laughs> the, the studio girl. Uh, <laughs> 40 Legos and a Mule or something. 40 Legos and a Mule, yeah. That was a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, no, it was, in it, it was interesting because it was, like, funny, and it was nice to see them kind of, like, or it was an in like inside of like when they're good, they're good kind of thing. Mm. Um, and then kind of set up for what she says later on um, about like the hoeing in yeah. the industry. Yes. <laughs> the hoeing. Yeah. Oh, we'll get there. We will yeah, get we'll there. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> so she goes outside to have a cigarette and um, I Forgot to Be Your Lover by William Bell plays. I just want to, I want to pause and talk about Jen Malone, who is the music supervisor on this movie as Strong. well. Yeah. Strong work. As well as Euphoria, um, which has uh. unbelievable music. Nina Simone. I've loved you better than your own candy from the very Duke Ellington, War, Sam Cooke, Otis Redding. These arms of mine. Donny Hathaway, and then like some modern really cool music, Michael Kiwanuka. Frankie Ray's. It was just the music through this entire film is so top notch. It is really great. Yeah. It is really and great. And just such nice yeah. touches to very specific moments, I think. It, it, it really works. Um, yeah. And when he plays that song, it's funny, um, mm -hmm. but it's also kind of like you could see what. Because he's a creative, he expresses himself in various ways, right? So, of course, he's just, mm. he just doesn't want to fight anymore. So, he puts this song on and he thinks it's going to be like this nice, touching moment, but it just gets her even more riled up. Um, yeah. Yeah. She calls him on it, right? Yeah. She's like a song <laughs> written for another, for another woman is not going to help. Another woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have the scene where he makes the case actually that he did support her. And he said that, you know, he was the one who checked her in rehab. He was the one who went to group therapy. He was the mm -hmm. one who, when she left and went to a meeting, but instead went to score drugs and have sex with another guy, Ugh. that he was there for her. 
I think he lays it on. He, he, I, I don't, he like consistently sort of escalates to like intimacy in this movie. Mm, uh, yeah. and, and like it's a really bad look for for like a boyfriend. Like oh, yeah. you're just yeah. like you're just like mm, it's not gonna work out well. Right. Um right. if your if your go to if your go to move is like, you know, let me tell you about some other women and like Oh god. Right. It was rough because anytime okay, especially in my first watch, I just felt very like like my guard was up. I was like, I do not like this Malcolm fellow. Because when he just kind of right off the jump, I feel like Marie's, you know, um, like she's worked up and she's saying things, she's saying hurtful things. But when he's saying things, it's like he's really like cutting, right? Mm. Um, when he's like, when he's like scarfing down the mac and cheese and he calls her unstable. And even when he's saying those things about like having supported her, it's like starts with a very like deep and terrible insult. And then he goes into that in, into that kind of talk. And I'm like, I'm really having a hard time sympathizing with you here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sure. They both get quite ugly. Um, but like Jason said, it's, it's a bad look for a boyfriend. So it's hard to kind of like mentally just be able to sympathize with him. I had some of that same vibe for sure. What I, what I found interesting was trying to understand who is, you know, to the extent they can be, who is right about what's happening here. Yeah. Um, and, and I think interestingly, when he says that he was there for her and that he loved her and that's what, you know, he, he was there in those darkest moments and he was willing to sacrifice. And she just says, you're only doing it for the material. Like for mm. her, that's true. That's what she, that's what she's afraid of. Yeah. But it's not clear that that's true. I think he's a bit of a vortex. I think it, I think he like is like sort of his needs mm. like kind of come first at this point in the relationship. Like we don't see the time in which like he's like there for her mm. during like her struggles with addiction or whatever. But at this time it like feels like his needs and like his you know sort of emotional needs, his career needs, everything else have kind of become like the vortex of their relationship and so i like for me like sort of his shittiness as a boyfriend like kind of um make me call into question like his artistic critique as well yeah like it's sort of like yeah like not that i i think he's got like i think it's well said or whatever it's like an interesting argument um but like it makes me it makes me like kind of it, it makes me like sort of doubt him or treat him as like an unreliable narrator or whatever like where i'm just like i mm, don't know about this guy and like the movie like not to like you know jump to the end kind of follows this path where you kind of know that she's gonna have the last word on this one that like you know that like yeah he shoots his shot too early kind of puts it all out there his case about why he's right and you're like well that's not gonna work it's only the end of act one and mm. you <laughs> kind of know that like she's gonna end up she's gonna end up with the upper hand in in this yeah. argument or at least you're like hoping. Yeah. Dear like cuz by the time you get to the third act like there it's I'm just like I don't know, you know, like is she um but you're just hoping she does. Well, but so so I mean I definitely started in the exact same vibe that you guys were in the sense of saying like I'm going to side with Marie yeah. and like I'll I'll hear him out and that scene in the bathtub where he goes hard and he lays out all the exes that he's been with and mm. he's calling out how he got different things of the character Imani from the movie not from her but from other people but you want to know the part of Imani that's based on you 
It's the end. The part that makes it such a tragedy. The part that she's the, where she loathes herself so much because of all the guilt and the shame. That she can't let the good in. That's the part that's based on you. Her inability to fathom that there's someone on this planet Earth that just loves her. Mm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that to me is a really important thing. Like if if she's not capable of believing that she's worthy of love, then she may be reading into his intentions. Yeah. That's not to say that he is right for being hurtful when he is hurt. Right. Um, he should be in more control of himself. Um, but I think that's the dynamic I was picking up on. Yeah. Mm. In this fight, they're trying to kind of like uncover the truth uh, from the other person, but they've already made up like what they think that is. Like, so for Malcolm, he thinks that like Marie's not support, like not supporting him um, and jealous of um, Taylor and all that. And for Marie, I think she thinks that he... Well, I, I guess kind of the same thing. Like, you know, he doesn't respect her um, and he takes her for granted. And they're just both like not budging from those standpoints like the entire time. Yeah. Um, if Does that make sense? Um, it does. I think I think, too, though, like his, you know, like the, the idea of making this movie, which is so clearly inspired by his relationship with her and her life. Mm-hmm. And then like both not thanking her like not really involving her in it in any creative or emotional way yeah like does seem pretty fucked up yeah yeah fair enough fair enough i think that i i and 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 there's a, a good discussion about that um in in just a minute but um after this scene in the bathtub, which is amazing, I thought it's mm-hmm. very interesting how the entire power dynamic shifts, right? She comes out of the tub in her underwear and she just, her makeup is off and she just looks really vulnerable. Um, yeah. And it feels like the power has shifted to Malcolm. Mm-hmm. And then he just completely falls apart when he gets the review for the LA Times <laughs> White Girl. And it's behind a paywall, one ninety nine a month. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah this is oh, great. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, so Jason, is this the backstory? Like the fact that this L.A. Times, yeah, writer is wrong on the details. She doesn't know what the shots are called. The lenses, like, yeah, I don't know if like if all of that is accurate to like her review of um, Assassination Nation, like that she got technical details or whatever. But like, it's like largely believed. To be like, you know, oh, like she gave Katie Walsh of the LA Times gave uh, his movie Assassination Nation a less than glowing review. And then he's going to use this movie to like fuck it up. Now, the additional kind of fucked up thing about it is that like Sam Levinson is a white guy and he Mm. puts this he like kind of filters this attack on her through a racial lens, uh, which like, yeah, is not not cool, bro. Super chill. (laughs) Like just because it's like, you know, like. Like he's he's kind of able because the movie is is it screenwriting is it screenwriting yeah. blackface <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so I mean like I think that's a little fucked up um, yeah and, and like it's sort of it sort of to me kind of makes 
Sam Levinson and Malcolm seem more alike where it's like, oh, you are both like kind of emotionally needy people somehow where like, you know, you like Sam Levinson got this like bad review of your last movie and now you need to invent this like whole other movie just to like deal with that uh, and bring in all these (laughs) other layers to like process it through. It feels like a lot. I don't know specifically like if this was like what came of the Katie Walsh review but i know like the general kind of critique of assassination nation was that it's like a very um kind of it it takes this kind of like feminist standpoint but it is very evident that it's written by a man i think like that's what the critics were saying about it Mm -hmm. um so it's interesting to me that he then takes um, and I've listened. I've listened to interviews. I think his like intention of casting black actors, and even his reasoning for making the film black and white. Um, you know, I think the intentions are great in there. But it's always interesting when, um, a, <laughs> especially because it's hard to separate. Um, it's like where where Sam ends and where Malcolm kind of begins a little bit. So right. It's an interesting choice. I will say I, I went to, you know, I do my clips before we record. I try and grab some clips and, and think about what, what stuff really hit me. Yeah. This scene is like nine minutes long of one mm. single long take rant by uh, John David Washington. And it's fucking yeah. amazing. I mean, the fact that Barry Jenkins is a gay, is that what made Moonlight so fucking universal? Always being gay, the reason Coker empathizes with women more than men. It's all a fucking mystery, is the point. What drives a filmmaker? What drives an artist? Tell me that. Can you tell me that? Fucking Karen, can you tell me that? No, you can't, can you? Because why? Because nobody knows. Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows? I mean, why did I shoot the scene? It is really good. Does the male gaze exist for gay directors? It's a mystery, Karen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who the fuck knows? (laughs) It's great. I mean, like, that's the thing about this movie is, like, it's shortcomings notwithstanding. Like, the performances really sparkle. It looks awesome. Incredible. The way that, like, Zendaya looks, like, sort of in the foreground of the shot. Like, the whole thing looks amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not just bullshit. Think about how hard it is for Zendaya to be sitting there filming for nine minutes, you know. Just, just listening yeah. to him yelling. Yeah. <laughs> and she's not going crazy, right? She's just chilling. Yeah. Yeah. When I watched that scene the first time, I was just so, like, rolling my eyes. I was like, why is he yelling? This is so annoying. And then watching it again, I was like, this is hilarious. Um Yeah. <laughs> Everything, yeah, everything he was saying was just really funny. Um, it was interesting. Mm. So, yeah, <laughs> it was, and I, I just, I, I loved it. I thought, it, I thought it was a great performance. So he comes back in, and she's like, "Oh, great! This is how you react to a good review." Um, and then she basically calls him out and says, "Nobody cares about what you're doing. This is some hoe shit, uh, and, <laughs> and and this is how the whole world turns." Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just love that. You know, you're playing dress up, stop taking yourself and making yourself so important. Love it. This is their second reconciliation, and it looks like they're yeah. going to maybe get, get to something going on, but he has to pee. So he leaves <laughs> and just. Poor guy had to pee. That was a big mistake. If he hadn't mistake. had to pee, it all would have been all right. No, we wouldn't have gotten all the way through, but yeah. her, the shot of her laying there. And you just know, you can read it on her face. It's like the pain is right there. And then the single tear breaks down on her right eye. It's just like, holy cow. Goes in dash. She took us there. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah, it was so, 
her, yeah, her in that moment was just amazing. Because when he's just like, stay like this, like, don't, like, don't get mad and runs off. And right, you just right, like, no, right. it's think happy thoughts. You know, it's going to happen. Exactly. But then just like seeing her face change and all of that. It's really great. Um, and also this is, I think we've seen Zendaya, Zendaya playing, like we always see her playing a teenager, right? Like in Spider-Man and Euphoria. Right, right, right. It's like the first time she's really kind of like stepped into like an adult role. Mm, love it. Love that. Yeah. And she kills it. Um, and especially in that moment, I thought that's that was very real, like where you're kind of you know, holding on to something, trying to kind of like push bad thoughts away and then they just kind of like flow over you. You know, we've all experienced it and yeah. she did it. She she conveyed that. <laughs> Zendaya is great. That reminds me, a brief sidebar. I saw a great clip today in my research uh, of Zendaya on the Graham Norton show when she was promoting The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman. Mm. Mm. Uh, and she talks about uh, during the filming of The Greatest uh, showman where there was some scene where she was it was she was doing the trapeze bit uh and like she flips off the trapeze and gets caught and like Hugh Jackman's right in front of her in this scene um and uh when this happened uh when they <laughs> filmed it uh someone uh audibly farted like right as she like flipped through the air and got caught and uh <laughs> She doesn't, she declines to name who it was, but she says that what happened was because she played it cool and like didn't say anything, she got the blame for the farting. No. Which she like strenuously denies. And what happened was the person who was a grown man blamed it on me. Yeah. So you thought that I farted. But the, the crazy thing, I would never No do one that. thought that was a you. No one. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you something. Yeah. If I ever farted in front of you, yeah. it would definitely be silent but deadly. I would never. <laughs> and like oh wanted to gosh. use this opportunity on like to British clear television to, cl to clear the <laughs> to air, clear so the to speak. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. So it's a really good. It's a really good story. And she's really animated telling it. And it's fun to like see her. It's fun to see her in interviews and stuff like that where she's like sort of because like in a lot of like both Euphoria and this. And I mean, this is like another, this is like another attic character. Mm. Even in the Spider-Man movies, it's very like she's very so solemn. dour. Yeah, she's so like like about to cry about you know all the time. Yeah. Um. And so it's it's fun to see her like just being like she's a big old goofball. Totally. So so now we get to the crux of the of the issue, the reason why she's caught, why she's crying. He comes back in and she says, "Why didn't you cast me?" Why didn't you fight for me? Mm. Um, and she says, I know it's not solely mine, but you took the ugly shit and made it beautiful for people, but I'm stuck with it. That's the crux. Yeah. Of, that's the crux of the pain. Like she can't exercise her demon now, or she feels like she can't. That was a really grounding moment in the film. And that's like, you know, you see her being like vulnerable, but you can tell she's like, I don't, like, she's like, I'm just expressing myself. Like, I just want you to hear me. And, like, she's really get, giving him an in at that point. Obviously, she's, you know, he isn't agreeing with everything she's saying um, and then, again, escalates it. But uh, her performance in that moment was great. It, it really, like, pulled me in to, to what was going on, I'd say. 
Well, he specifically says that she didn't want it, right? And that she she didn't really audition for it. Yeah. Um, and then we have my favorite uh, scene in the film, which is where, depressed, she grabs a knife. Oh, my God. Oh, that's good shit. That's a good That's good shit. She opens a cabinet. To- that's a good scene. Yeah, she's looking for drugs, and then she says, you know, I fucked your friends. <laughs> your friends I've stolen from your mother you know what the fucked up thing is I don't even care I don't mind because I deserve it oh my god and he's like freaking out looking at the knife and he's yeah. like stuttering and stuff and then she says and that Malcolm is what authenticity buys you well, damn, why'd you do that in the audition? Damn, why didn't you do that in the audition? I know. <laughs> that, that, that's re- it's really good. That was wild. Really and good. It, I, I don't know about you guys. I was like genuinely like faked out by that. Like I was just like, what is happening? Like, Oh, I, 100%. I'm like, they just raised the stakes like a million percent. I remember messaging Sophie because she had seen it before. And I was like, is she about to knife Malcolm, like what's happening? <laughs> yeah, that was really great. So that's their third back together now. Um, yeah, and they go into the bedroom and and um, you know they're they're making out. But then this is where she is saying she's kind of disgusted by him. Um, but this final scene where she gives her thank you speech of all mm-hmm. the things that she wanted for him to say was just amazing. And her performance of it was spectacular. Thank you, Marie. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for making my life better. Thank you for getting your life together. Thank you for watching 100 cuts and reading 100 fucking drafts. Thank you for your notes, your experience, your patience, your authenticity you bring to this film. Thank you. And this is what I'm saying. I think she wins. This is where, like, you know, you kind of know where you're headed. You're like, okay, like, like... Yes, like she had a legitimate, a legitimate complaint. He didn't get it. It took him a long time to like understand it. And when she finally lays it out, she was like basically hoping he was going to figure it out. He doesn't figure it out because he's a dumbass. And then like <laughs> you know, she lays it out completely, and you're like, oh yeah, well fucking duh. Obviously, you know, he 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 fucked it all up. Yeah, and his performance too. He's crying. He's just standing there crying as they're talking about it. I thought it was very good. Yeah, it's really good. Can we talk about the the after that is over where they're brushing their teeth, getting ready for bed, and just the mm-hmm. mirror shots where you're seeing the reflections of, of one or the other of them in the bed? Yeah. Gorgeous. Such beautiful shots. Um, everything looks super cool. Although there was one shot that kind of like freaked me out because it's like a shot... It was like the black and white shot of like the oval mirror. And it instantly brought my mind to um, the seven days video from the ring, um, which is like just (laughs) been imprinted on me in like the worst way. Oh, my gosh. So I was just like, oh, gosh, like now I'm not going to sleep. But other than that, (laughs) the shots were amazing. (laughs) And just like very beautiful, very well constructed. yeah, stunning. I missed that. I missed that. Well, so it ends with it ends with him saying, "I'm sorry, thank you," and her saying, yeah. "You're welcome." 
Um, yeah. And we do get the final shot of them by the tree the next morning. So what happens, Boom? Like, what? Mm. what what's the resolution, do you think? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for me, they... I, I don't know. Like, they're just kind of standing there still together. It's like, are they going to break up? Are they not? I feel like they probably don't. Um, just throughout the film, you kind of just get the sense that they have, like, a serious, like, emotional dependency on each other. And, I mean, like, that's relationships, mm. I guess. Although I don't think this is the best depiction of, like, a loving relationship. I think, like, the tagline <laughs> for this you film... <laughs> The, the the tagline for this film is like this isn't a love story it's a story about love and I'm like is it <laughs> I don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> um I feel like they probably stay together um mm. at least for some number of years yeah or get married and divorced a million times like uh, Malcolm I think says. You said that right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, Jason, this was filmed at the Caterpillar House in the Santa Lucia Preserve. Yeah, in Carmel. Can you yeah, give us the, some details? The Caterpillar House uh, is a Platinum Lead certified, <laughs> uh, super <laughs> environmentally friendly uh, house in Carmel. The fun fact, we talk about houses often uh, on this podcast. Ex Machina. Ex Machina was a big uh-huh. architecture discussion for this pod. It wasn't so much a discussion as we were just like... Longing. We like this house. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's on, it's on this beautiful reserve. You see the dunes out the window and stuff like that. Um, but the fun fact about this one is that uh, this house was built by the same architects who built my house uh, in San Francisco. Oh. Um, Hell yeah. And so... Uh, That's shout awesome. out to Feldman Architecture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jason yeah. just walks around his house in black and white. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Having fights about not including the right people in my acceptance speeches. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it's great. It's gorgeous. I highly recommend Feldman Architecture if you're looking for an architect <laughs> who uh, does great work in sustainable architecture and uh, indoor outdoor design. So they they do uh, they do great. They do great stuff. That's super cool. It's funny after Tim's discussion about never wanting to have anyone film in your house. It's interesting that they these guys went for it. Yeah. Yeah, they went for it. It's unclear. I mean, I assume because it was also shot during the pandemic. So they let someone film in their house during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know anything about the owners. There is this like interesting detail, which you can only kind of see in a little bit of it, which is like um, the the house is made with a lot of rammed earth walls. Mm. Like so instead of like, you know, like concrete or wood, this is like a kind of it's not like a new technique, but it's a trendy technique in architecture right now where like they yeah, they like compact the earth together to make the walls of the of the house. Um we can include a link to Feldman Architecture's Caterpillar House because they got a bunch of photos of it on their site, obviously. Oh cool. Yeah, very cool. So yeah. Great stuff. So what did we learn about Dune twenty twenty one? I'm interested. I, I'm really excited. I think back to my comment about Zendaya sort of often being in roles where she's about to cry. <laughs> I'm excited to see her as like a fucking killer badass in mm. Dune. And I hope that's like sort of, I hope that's how they, the direction they go with Chani. We talked about before that Chani in the Lynch Dune and also in the book is not a very strong character. Um, but that, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there to reimagine that character. And I hope, I think Denny will do a good job with that. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see Zendaya. Mm. 
Yeah. Awesome. Um, boom. Who would Tilda Swinton play? You only have two choices. Oh. Yeah. Unless it's the house. <laughs> house. <laughs> yeah. It's the-, the mac and cheese. <laughs> the mac and cheese. <laughs> I can't say the LA Times critic. Um, yeah, the oh, white yeah, lady yeah. from the LA Times. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of options. I don't know. I feel like Tilda would do would would do Malcolm. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah I, yeah. I can see that. I think she does both roles as a one woman show. There we go. Oh, that's that, the only right answer. I would pay for that for sure. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let us go to letters. Let's do it. Nice. All right, we have one letter tonight, and that is from Jim Kolb. Subject line, True Grit. Oh, I love this. This is a nice quick Mm. uh, letter here. Hey, Podakin. Great episode on True Grit. Podakin is good, by the way. That's a good Podakin. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. (laughs) Continue. Hey, Podakin. Great episode on True Grit. Dune Pod has the absolute best guests with such good insights. Wow. No one mentioned the Cheney Chani connection. <laughs> I've heard people pronounce <laughs> Cheney as Cheney, even though in my head it's a softer ah sound, Chani. Sorry for the following <laughs> cursed image. That cursed image, which I will include a link to in the show notes, is uh, the shot of Zendaya uh, in her Fremen gear as Chani, but with um, Josh Brolin's Chaney head with the black marks on his face. From- oh, <laughs> that's strong. That's strong. Jim, thank you so much. We love it. Great. We love Great. it. Good All right. letter. I have two voicemails. Here is our first voicemail. Doompod and boom. This is Corey <laughs> calling in from Austin, Texas. Corey. I have not watched. Uh, this film that you guys are discussing today. The reviews have not been so hot. Um, (laughs) So I'm kind of staying back from it. Maybe it might be something uh, curious to revisit once the pandemic is more in our rearview mirror. Mm. Uh, I think that might be an interesting way to look at it. Mm. In the meantime, I'll just keep looking forward to more episodes of Euphoria. And then, of course, for the uh, amazing actress to be in Dune. So, And then, uh, not just Give a short trip to uh, the male lead in this movie, who's also great. Uh, he's really been tearing up the scene. I'm curious to see what he's going to be working on next. So, But I just want to call in anyway, even though I haven't seen it. We are getting close to Excalibur, though, so you know I'm going to be super stoked. Yes. Oh, yeah. comes up and probably leave the longest <laughs> voicemail ever. So, all right. I'll let y'all get back to it. Thanks for everything, you guys. And, boom, it's great to have you on as a guest. Aw, thanks, Corey. <laughs> Corey. Yay, Corey. So sweet. I do want to share my favorite fan casting to come out of the Dune Discord. Oh, good. For for Fade Rotha, who is not in the first book. Ooh. The suggestion that came through was Hunter Schaefer. <gasps> oh, that's strong. That's strong. That's Hunter. really strong. That's yeah. really good casting. <laughs> Nice. That is a really good answer. Did you guys end up watching, because I know you said you watched like the first Euphoria special. Did you end up watching the second one finally? I have not watched the second one yet. I, I'm dying. I just watched the first one, yeah. You okay. just, yes. oh, how, what did you think of the first one? Amazing. Yeah, it was, it was very good. I definitely cried um, throughout the whole thing. And I was, oh. and it made me excited for Malcolm and Marie because 
um, the way kind of mm. the way Sam Levinson handles like a two person dynamic and keeps it interesting um, mm-hmm. was great. So good, so well done. Mm-hmm. That was a that was an amazing amazing episode. Yeah, it was a heavy heavy hitter. <laughs> All right, we have one more voicemail from Yay. super friend of the show. Hey, Dune Pod, it's Sophie. Had to call in uh, because my number one person in the world is on your <laughs> show today. Yay. Hi, Boom. Um, Malcolm and Marie, really quickly. Um, oh. Loved, loved, loved Zendaya. She fucking killed it. She saved that movie um, because <laughs> that movie was a huge miss for me. Um John David mm. Washington. I was excited to see what he what he was gonna do because I've only seen him as this like one note stoic dude in Tenet mm. and Black Klansman. Um, and to be honest, I was extremely disappointed by his acting chops in this movie. Um, I know he was supposed to be this like insufferable asshole, but he mm-hmm. like didn't even <laughs> seem like he was acting. He was just yelling the entire time, um, mm. and it made the movie like so much more exhausting and it was already extremely exhausting. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's so much I could say about this movie, but I do want to keep this under 90 (laughs) seconds. So I will just say that anything good about this movie is all because of Zendaya and Zendaya alone. And I'm (laughs) super excited to see what she does in Dune. I think with Denny, uh, directing her hopefully he'll be able to like pull something really special out of her acting wise so um he shall yeah. oh he god shall. it's 90 seconds okay bye love you all <laughs> <laughs> goodbye that's, that's hilarious great. i feel thank you, sophie yeah thanks so well, I, I just want to i just want to say sophie does the she does the transcripts for the show which is amazing so she's mm. you know making sure to get under the 90 second limit thank you <laughs> <laughs> she know, yeah, she's like, I don't want to make wor- more work for myself. Exactly. I actually, I, I do want to ask you guys, because I felt like watching this film, especially the first time, it's like you're watching this couple have this like infuriating argument. And I, while watching it, like felt physically like infuriated. Um, mm. <laughs> did you guys feel that way or <laughs> was it, were you cool? calm and collected i i mean like i think with me like i'm always watching you know a movie with subtitles and like children around now and so it's like i'm never i'm never like fully absorbed as as much as i could be i think i'm interested i think when i go back to the movie theater for the first time like the first time i see a movie in the Mm, theater i think i'm gonna lose my mind um because it will be like the most like sensory like directed concentrated (laughs) experience that was what happened, um, like, when I went to see Tenet in the summer. It had been, like, eight months since I had seen a movie. And then just, like, yeah. in IMAX, I and I left the theater, was like, who am I? Like, I'm dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and so it's funny because I stumbled upon, I think I did a V'ger search, uh, you know, Proto's incredible tool for 70 oh, millimeter. Yeah. I think I did a V'ger search for Malcolm and Marie to see what the villagers thought. And boom, I saw that you gave it two stars, two banger. First viewing, two banger. Did that shift for you? It did. Where'd you land? Second uh, second viewing, I landed at three. Um, three stars is good. Because <laughs> three stars, exactly. Like the, to me, I'm like, this is a good movie. 
Um, and I and I definitely enjoyed it more the second time. I, I got a lot more out of it the second time. Um, I just think overall it's not – I don't see it as, like, anything that's, like, super impactful or even very important. Um, maybe besides kind of, like, the COVID filming stuff and, like, the technical things that came along with that, but – Sure. How about you, Jason? Where did you land on it? I think three is fair. I think mm-hmm. three is about as high as I can go on Malcolm and Marie. Um, yeah. Like, it's – I think – and I think a lot of that's informed by – some of the like technical like oh this is a movie film during the pandemic and like they managed to do it on this like you know yeah shoestring budget like if it weren't for some of the stuff that's not on the screen it probably is a two two and a half star movie for me Mm. it's interesting you know to me the artistry um even though some of it is is too on the nose um i thought the the dialogue and then driving into the performances and the way it was shot and the music to me adds up to at least three and a half stars. I was going to go maybe even as high as a four banger. All wow. you, all your movies, all of Matt's movies are four star movies. He only sees four star <laughs> movies. Like he's an optimist. He's <laughs> just like, like Matt's one to five star rating scale really is just three and a half to four. Right. Like there's like, we need yeah. to like, we need to Great get on some, the like, curve. Yeah. We Listen. need to get it on some kind of curve. That was me before I became friends with Catcher. So, <laughs> uh-huh. all right, we need to get Catcher back on the pod. Yeah, I mean, we do end up watching movies that are good on this podcast by and large. So it's like yeah, it, it makes sense that they would like, yeah, you know, sort of skew higher. I just thought there was some beautiful artistry happening in this film that I that I appreciated. Okay, what's your wait? What's your rating for the Lynch Dune? I forget. I think I rated it four, but that was just only on pure like, like nostalgia, nostalgia. Yeah, yeah completely nice. i mean it obviously is not a good movie uh, <laughs> yeah. but i am okay. ordering yeah, i am ordering the 4k uhd release that's coming soon so yeah that's happening nice do your thing all right boom what do you have to plug um are you ready for an exclusive announcement about synonauts in the city <laughs> oh yes oh my gosh Synonauts in the city. It's a work in progress, but it's definitely happening. So it'll it'll be like a spinoff where Ian Catcher and I just talk about sex in the city because uh, coincidentally we all love it dearly. Oh wow, um, Jason, do you watch that show? <laughs> I've seen some Sex in the City. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm a Charlotte. <laughs> oh yes, I respect that. <laughs> do you, H? What are you? <laughs> are you a Carrie, I, Charlotte? Samantha? No, no, I. I don't know, but I was, uh, I mean, I thought Charlotte was the most appealing. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we're married. That's yeah. why Matt and I are podcast husbands. That's right. Well, and, and she was married to Kyle MacLachlan. So it makes, you know, it makes sense. Oh, Is yeah. she? In the, in the, mo- in the show. Oh, Trey the show. McDougal. Okay. Okay. Trey but that was McDougal. his first big thing after Dune. That was like his most high profile role after Dune. So. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. Well, we're very excited. We'll, we will keep our eye out uh, for Synonauts in the City. <laughs> Cannot wait to see that coming soon. I was just going to say, until then, it'll just be like regular scheduled programming <laughs> with Criterion content. <laughs> yeah. And next week you're doing Time, a documentary that's Oscar nominated. Yeah. Do we know what it's about? Have we figured that out yet? Um. No, actually. So I'm going into this like completely blind um, and it'll be the first documentary we're doing. It's nominated for an Oscar uh, for best doc, I'm assuming. And I should probably know the facts, but 
Facts. Um, but it's on Prime. I'm kind of like piecing oh, cool. together that this is like a Criterion, because um, Sound of Metal, uh, One Night in Miami, and Time are were all Prime releases. So I feel like this is like Criterion oh, and Prime pairing um, or teaming up. But yeah, so next week it's almost like Ian works at IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Follow the buddy. Yeah. Oh my god, uh, <laughs> that is hilarious! Well, I loved. Uh, did you watch uh, Sound of Metal, Jason? No, I haven't seen it. Okay, yeah, definitely watch that immediately. And please, Riz Ahmed, get yeah. cast in Dune Two. Oh, Riz Ahmed, like, yeah, oh, he should yeah. be in Dune Two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Is is that a rumor? I just started it. Okay, perfect. Let's get it. Let's start a petition. <laughs> And that's it for this episode of Dune Pod. I want to thank Jason and Boom for a fantastic conversation. Next week, finally, we dare to go there. Take the journey with us from the depths of space to the ultimate crying gif as we discuss Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. If you're enjoying this podcast, follow us at Dune Pod on Instagram and Twitter and share our social media posts as it really helps new listeners find the show. DunePod is a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. The episode was produced and edited by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week. <laughs>